water is a beautiful thing. Just ask any baby just born who is screaming having to have left the nurturing aspect of water in the womb into this world so barren it seems. Those parents much braver than we. I've seen it on TV and on YouTube. Some will take their babies just months old, some just weeks old, and put them into a swimming pool. Have you seen this? (laughs) Incredible. Babies bobbing on the water there and swimming like fish as if they know what they're doing and they do know what they're doing, it seems. They are so acquainted with water. Have you been to the ocean lately just to stand in the surf and to be rocked to and fro on your hills so that you feel a part of the ocean, these waves that draw you and push you until you are experiencing yourself fully surrounded by the precious waters of God. Have you taken the trail right up there next to the Smoky Mountains, climbing your way up the edge of the mountain toward Anna Ruby Falls? Have you been on that trail? Have you been up there and determined to yourself you were going to get as close as you possibly could so that you would feel the spray of the water in your face? Don't tell me that water is not a beautiful thing. Have you immersed yourself in the icy waters of the Itchituckney River? Has anybody done that that's here? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You get a badge for doing that. You don't know what cold is until you've been in that water. Oh, the beauty of water. Water is a beautiful thing. And for those who will allow it to be, it is transformative. I saw a documentary not long ago about people in India who were waiting, just waiting for the rainy season to begin. They do this every year, this waiting, this longing for the water to return and to bless from the heavens, the earth below. You know what they do when the first rains come in India? Do you know what they do? They spill out into the streets and they will dance for several days, twirling, celebrating in what God has given. This ribbon of water that traces the eastern boundaries of Israel, eastern boundaries of Israel, and the western boundaries of Jordan. This river of water, this ribbon that we call the Jordan River, carries with it this narrative history unlike any other river on the face of this planet. All of them have their history, but none so important to we this day. Tourists are gathered there on the bank of the river with their little plastic containers, even as I speak. You know that, don't you? 
trying to capture just a little bit of that water to take it home with them. You know why they do it, don't you? It's not so that they can brag and say, I've got a little bit of the Jordan River here. Oh, some of them do that, by the way. But they are seeking, they are seeking to capture just a little bit of the history of that precious place and contain it in their hearts to remember what has gone on. You remember the stories, don't you? Surely it's a part of your life. Abraham there with Lot, knowing that they had to go their separate ways. Lot hearing from Abraham's mouth. He just needed permission. He was already knowing where he wanted to go. Abraham said, you choose where you want to go here. You do that, and then we'll go to the other place side of the property that you've chosen. And Lot said, I'll tell you where I want to go. I want to go to that fertile river valley there by the Jordan. Abraham said, it's yours. It's yours. Go there and be blessed of God. Oh, what an interesting story it is, this river. Do you remember how Joshua, this nomad, with the people of God as they had wandered for ages, through the desert wilderness, the desert wilderness, and finally came to the edge of the Jordan River. Moses gazing from high his mountain as he watched to see. Joshua as he moved ahead with the people. And as they crossed the Jordan on dry ground, no, it wasn't dry. I mean, it says it was dry. I think it was muddy at least. And when they got to the other side, Joshua pointed and said, grab some stones there, 12 stones if you would, plucked from this muddy riverbed and pulled up just as the water begins to close around them again and move on its way. And they set it up, what? As an altar in order that they might worship God in that holy, holy place. You remember these stories, how important it is, how beautiful the water. You remember Naaman, this commander of the king's army who came from afar in order to visit Elisha. And he said, Elisha, I'm covered. I see. Elisha says, I see. I see your situation. You're covered with leprosy. And he gave instructions, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. You remember what Naaman's reaction to that was, don't you? I've got better rivers back home. Why do I need this stinky river? No bigger than the Ogeechee. Come on now. And yet, encouraged by his servant, Naaman went down to those waters. And his life was transformed, I tell you. Transformed as God brought healing to that leprous, spotted skin. This narrative history should be a part of our lives. Is it with you? Is this history a part of who you are? It was here that Jesus came to John for baptism. John had been surrounded by crowds that sought him there at the banks of the Jordan. John preaching his heart out to anybody who would come. And they came by the thousands, 
from Judea and from even Jerusalem, the big city, they came out to hear what he had to say. But you know what he was doing? It was really offensive. He was this rebel, as it were, speaking what those in charge at the temple considered to be actually against, opposed to what the Scripture had told them to do. You look this up. In Leviticus, it says specifically that if someone seeks forgiveness, that their place is to immediately be involved in a thanks offering at the temple. You think that was going on out there in the wilderness? No, they were getting it for free. Let me tell you, they were getting it for free out there. It was those who were outcasts that were coming up to John, all sorts, especially the poor, who hardly had a cent to offer anyway at the temple. This was good stuff that they were receiving, this baptism that John was offering. And Jesus comes into the midst of this story. And when John sees it, he tries to reinvent what was inevitable to happen. He says, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus' response is, shall we not in this place fulfill all righteousness? God was present. Don't know who heard these words, but I guarantee you that John and Jesus knew what was going on. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. This powerful water. Now, some people think it has a lot to do with how that baptism occurs. Jesus went down into the water. The folk will say, my apologies to those Baptists that may be amongst us this morning. And it says, I know it says it in the scripture that he came up out of the water and you're pointing and you're saying, see, see, I told you, you must be immersed. Well, let me share with you that the founder of the Methodist church didn't believe any such thing as that. He said that is not proof in any way, nor is there any other proof that can be found that it is the amount of water that is used. The amount of water is immaterial to what's going on in the heart. John Wesley, when he was 53 years old, he wrote a paper that he entitled A Treatise on Baptism. And he stated, he said, when it means going down to the water, knowing what the Jordan is, they may have been knee-deep. He said that. He said that. They may have been knee-deep. He said, he went on to say, John Wesley did, he said, we don't know. They may have only been ankle-deep, if you understand the Jordan River, which is so broad in some places as to hardly be deep enough to fish in. He said, what matters here What matters here is what is going on in the heart of those 
that are touched by the transformative waters of baptism. It was in my first appointment. I've shared, I think, with some of you already here that it was in my first appointment that I went down on an Easter Sunday. We were going to have baptism at the Flint River. Ten people had come for that precious sacrament. That Sunday afternoon, we walked to the edge of the water across a cow pasture, minding our step. (laughs) To the edge of the water that was a crook in the river. It was called Hell's Gate. Some say that the way it got that name was because it was such a crook in the river that it was hard to negotiate if you were in a boat and a number of people had capsized at that location. I think, I think that what may have been going on is that baptisms had been occurring in that location for so long that people aptly named it for what they saw going on in those waters right there at Hell's Gate. We walked toward the water, and my lay leader, the lay leader of that congregation, Buckshot, Buckshot Franklin, (laughs) he went over to the side, and he grabbed him a long stick, and he began to whack the top of the water with it. And I looked at him and I said, what are you doing? And he said, scaring off the snakes. (laughs) I had not thought about snakes until he said that. We walked into the water together, Buckshot holding me up as much as I was holding him. And we baptized, he assisting those 10 people that came. And in the midst of closing out my words, standing there in the water, Buckshot turned to me and he said, okay, preacher, it's your turn. And knowing better than he, I thought to myself, I'm a preacher of the gospel. I am a Methodist preacher. I was baptized as a baby by my daddy. Now, some people would say, well, that doesn't count. Let me tell you, it counted, right? It counted. (laughs) Come on. It worked. It worked. Okay. But I looked at Buckshot, and I said to him, I said, Buckshot, I will let you give me a remembrance of my baptism. And with that, he pushed me under the water. And I came up hearing him say, I give you a remembrance of your baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, it it had nothing to do, I do not believe, with the amount of water. I, I could have been standing there and he could have poured some water over my head or I could have been there and he could have sprinkled a little water on me but let me tell you something happened special in that place for me that day I don't know that anybody else was aware of it I couldn't get it off my heart 
the presence of God was so close. I picked up the phone the next morning. I called my daddy. I said, Daddy, I said, I said, I feel like I'm a Christian for the first time. You know what my daddy did? He started laughing. He was the one that had baptized me as an infant. He started laughing and he said, he said, oh, Bill, he said, God's been working for a long time in your life and in my life and all the lives of those who are being drawn toward him. So true. So very true. Water is a beautiful thing, particularly when we allow it to be transformative in this sacrament of baptism. Baptism is this instrument of our justification. It is this instrument of work that God does within us to convert us to his ways. This is exactly what baptism is about. And I ask you, do you remember that about your baptism? Some of you are saying, well, I can't remember it because I was baptized as an infant. In your spirit, there is something about you that does remember. I wish we had time for everyone here to share their stories of baptism. I wish everyone here would remember for just a moment what it is that has brought you to this place of confession and service. In baptism, God provides this holy connection between heaven and earth, almost like two tectonic plates that are bumping up against each other with this seismic significance reminding us that there's more. Oh, there is more out there for all of those who come in contact with this holy water. Baptism, this thing of mystery, this thing of risk, this thing of chaos even, that propels us to think of our lives differently. Do you remember your baptism? Do you remember your baptism? Let me tell you. Remember your baptism and be thankful. Be thankful.